0: Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, straight in. There is a time for everything, turn, turn, no that's not in there, and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh. And a time for peace. What do workers gain from all their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Whatever is has already been and what will be has been before. And God will call the past to account. Probably, at least the first eight verses, I would say the most, most well-known passage in Ecclesiastes. Possibly one of the most well-known passages in the whole Bible. Although a lot of people would know the passage without knowing that it was in the Bible, right? Because, of course, it was made famous by the great Pete Seeger. And then, you know, by the birds in 1965. Great old classic song. And it is the number one song with the oldest lyrics. It has that record, you know, because the words obviously go back to Ecclesiastes. But we know the song pretty well. What people don't know as well is the next seven or eight verses after this poem. That's uh, not as familiar, but it's that passage that gives this beautiful poem in Ecclesiastes 3 uh, its meaning. And I, I think what's, what's so fantastic about this poem and this lovely eight verses that are in here, it just captures so well that life is full of contrasts. Because when you read these lines, you read these opposites that are, that are going on here, I mean, we've been on both sides of that ledger, haven't we? we? We 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 experience these things in the course of our lives. We experience the weeping and the laughing. We experience that the gathering and the scattering. We experiencing the planting and the uprooting. We experiencing we experience that the love and the hate. And the war and the peace. This is just what life is. It resonates with the ups and the downs and the backwards and the forwards and the contrasts of life. We find ourselves on both sides of these phrases, sometimes in the same day, sometimes in the same hour. And this poem, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because it draws you in with its beauty and it draws you in with with its symmetry and these lovely poetic phrases... But the more that you look at this poem, the more that you listen to these lines, it actually becomes quite troubling. And this is why I think the author of Ecclesiastes, the quester, has got it in here. Because there's a message between the lines. The more that you look at these lines, the more you realize something quite frustrating even though it's this beautiful idea that there is a time for everything, there's a season for every activity, that God makes everything beautiful in its time, there is this, this hidden reality in this poem that for you and I, we don't know the times. So there may be a time this and a time for that. There may be a perfect time for planting and a perfect time for uprooting. There may be a time to invest and not invest. There may be a time for this job and a time for that job. But we often don't know. God has made everything beautiful in His time. God has made every activity appropriate for its own time. But the problem the quester has is that God doesn't often reveal that information to us. And so we are left wondering is this the right time to change jobs? Is this the time to be uprooting my family and taking them to the other side of town, the other side of the country, the other side of the world? Is this a time to be gathering or a time to be scattering? What is the time? What is the season? You think about recent events, think about the Christchurch earthquake and there came a point about eight days after that earthquake when someone or some some team of people had to make a decision that this was going to change from a rescue operation to a recovery operation. Who wants to make that call? Who wants to have to decide that we are effectively giving up searching for survivors? But that's what Ecclesiastes is talking about. There's a time to search and a time to give up searching. But how do we know what time it is? You think of what's going on in Libya at the moment, and the complexity of the West trying to figure out its intervention in that country. What type of military strategy is appropriate? What type of coalition is appropriate? Is it going to work to arm the rebels, or is that just going to lead to greater bloodshed? Is this a time for war, or is this a time for peace? People are trying to figure this out. It's all very well, there may be a time for war and there may be a time for peace, but we don't always know the best course of action. We have trouble discerning which of these phrases is most appropriate for now. And some of you are sitting at intersections of life right now, trying to make big decisions, trying to figure out some of the things. They might be right in this poem, some of these phrases. And you are lacking the knowledge you need, the insight you need, the information you need in order to make the best decision that you feel like you need to make. Some of you are trying to figure out, should I... Should I? Go with this career or that career. This house or that house. This wife or that wife. That's probably not a good example. <laughs> this, this path or that path. You know what I'm saying? You're trying to discern it. And the reason that we get frustrated by this is because of a little phrase in this passage. In verse 11 where the quester says that God has set eternity in the human heart. So it's a lovely phrase in there, but what does that mean? I don't think it just means that God's made us to live forever. It might be true, but I think he's making another point here. God's placed eternity in our heart. When something's in your heart, it's a longing. It's a desire. Something we're wanting. And it taps into that idea that each of us is wanting a perspective bigger than what we have. We want to transcend this moment And this situation, to be able to get up above our circumstances and see where it's all heading and see what the outcome of this decision would be if we chose this path and see what the outcome of this decision would be if I chose this path and see, you know, to to try and work it through. We we want to get out of this moment and, and transcend this limitation and see things from God's perspective. Have an eternal perspective. See how it's all put together and see where it's all going. Because if we had that kind of knowledge, if we had that kind of information, then we would be able to make the best decision in the present. We'd see the outcomes and the contingencies and the whole thing and have the perspective that we need. God has placed that longing for eternity in the human heart. But, as the great theologian Bono says, you're stuck in a moment and you can't get out of it. That's where we live. That's why the very next phrase in the, in the passage is, who can fathom what God has done from beginning to end? There's this tension the quest is living with. God's placed eternity in the human heart. I want to I see this eternal perspective. But who can really fathom what God's done from beginning to end? He's made everything beautiful in its time, but I can't get hold of that perspective. You hear the frustration in it. It's lovely and poetic, but underneath that there is this longing There is this desperation to know more than we know and see more than we can see. There might be a time for everything, but we struggle to know the times. One way that we often frame the question is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? How do I know whether it's his will that I take this road or that road? How do I discern God's will? How do I hear His voice? How do I know which path He wants me to take? Keep your finger in Ecclesiastes 3 and turn over to the book of Titus. Right at the other end of the Bible, right at the far end, book of Titus, short little book just before Hebrews. Titus chapter 1. And you'll be familiar by now, what we're trying to do with Ecclesiastes is look at these passages and look at what the questor is saying in Ecclesiastes. But look at what all this means then in view of Jesus. Look at what this means in view of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and ascension. And now read that back into Ecclesiastes to get a better understanding of what's going on. So listen to this, just the first, well, just chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 of Titus. And as I read this, listen for words that relate to time. Okay? Listen for temporal words, words that have something to do with time. Verse 2 of chapter 1, Titus. In the hope of eternal, there's a time word, eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time, which now at His appointed season He has brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Saviour. The insight here is that there are a lot of seasons in life we just don't know. There are a lot of times and seasons and discerning of things that we just don't know. No, but there is one season that God has made unmistakably clear to us, and it is the season, the appointed season, when He sent His Son, Jesus. That is the season. Ecclesiastes rattles off a whole lot of seasons, but Titus basically says, Paul says, there's one season that you really need to think about. This moment, this time, this appointed kairos moment, when God sent Jesus. And Jesus really stands as the center of time, Think about him as the center of all history. This big, stake in the ground, Jesus as the center of history, all of history, all of time revolves around him. And in coming to earth, what Jesus has done is he has unlocked the eternity in our hearts. Think about it that way. If Ecclesiastes 3 talks about this eternity in our hearts, it's a longing, it's a cry, it's a desperation, it's something that we just can't quite get to. What Jesus has done is come along with the key and unlock the eternity in our hearts. And he's done this by showing us what God is up to from beginning to end. The quest is complaining, I can't see what God's done from beginning to end. Paul says in the book of Titus, he's shown us now. He's revealed it to us. He's revealed it to us through Jesus, what he is up to from beginning to end. And the short story is that he's reconciling everything to himself through Jesus. He's bringing everything now centered around Jesus. He's handing everything over to Jesus. He's summing everything up under Jesus, submitting everything to Jesus. God's will is that everything is surrendered and brought under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, including your life and mine, including all of humanity as God's desire, and ultimately the entire cosmos, the entire universe. That's what God's up to. So so Jesus has given us this big picture He's given us this plan. He's revealed to us that now Jesus is the one who makes sense of life. He's come to show us what it means to be human, what it means to even bear the image of God. And he's come to show us where God is taking the world. It's all centering around Jesus. And God's desires, everything's gathered up under Jesus' feet. So that one day, everything that exists is under Jesus' feet, and Jesus hands it over to God the Father. So God is all in all. Now that's the big picture, and I know some of you are saying, yeah, yeah, that's fine, that's fine, you know, I'm all, I'm all about the big picture, but I still need to know, should I move jobs or not? Because that's the thing, right? I mean, this is all lofty, big picture, you've got to understand the big story, but you are struggling with these decisions like, should I invest in this or not? Should we take this job opportunity, the other side of the world, or not? How do we decide what school to send Our kids too. How do I know? How do I decide? I'm all about the big story, but how do I know God's will for my life? Isn't that what we want to know? How do I know what God's will is for my life? And I wonder whether in all of that we're somehow asking the wrong question. Maybe the question is not, what's God's will for my life? Maybe the question is, what's God's will for his own life? Have you ever thought about that? See, we get so obsessed with, what's God's will for my life? God's got this perfect, wonderful plan for my life. He's got this will for my life. I've got to know it. I've got to see it. I've got to hear it. I've got to meditate long enough until he reveals it all to me. But what if we shifted our paradigm so our focus wasn't on, what is God's will for my life, but what is God's will for God's life? God's got a life. God's got a will. What is God? see? When you look in the New Testament, in fact, when you look in, in the entire Scriptures, there's very little emphasis on God's will for your life. I don't, I don't mean to burst your bubble, but there is far less emphasis on this kind of idea that God's got a personal, private, you know, detailed itinerary for your life than there is on what God's will is for His life. That's what when the Bible talks about God's will especially in the New Testament, it is almost exclusively around Jesus. What is God's will? It's Jesus. What is God's will? It's sending Christ. What is God's will? It's that everything's surrendered to Him and handed over to Him and summed up. If you want to know God's will, He's already revealed it. See, this is the thing. We want to know all these seasons and times that we just can't know. And that's the frustration of Ecclesiastes. We want the crystal ball so we can see what's coming. God says, I have made known to you the one season that's important. It's the season when I sent my Son makes sense of everything. That revealed my will. My will is Jesus. And I know you get all frustrated about all this stuff, and I know you've got big decisions to make, but understand that I've already made my will known to you. So you actually don't need to ask the question, what is God's will for my life? Because your, His will for your life is that you get on board with His will for His life. God's will for your life is that you get on board with His will for His life and the degree to which you are submitted to God's will for God's life, surrendering all things to Jesus, to that degree, you've found and embodied God's will for your own life. So as you make these decisions, maybe there's a set of new questions to ask and answer. Maybe the sorts of questions to think about are questions like, will one of these pathways enabled me to be more or less surrendered to Jesus? Is one of these options going to undermine and compromise my relationship with Christ, my ability to serve Him, my ability to glorify Him in my life? Is one of these outcomes going to lead me to compromise? Is it going to drag me away from relationships in my life that are important to God? Relationships with my family, close friends, my church, Is it going to undermine those things? Is this going to somehow compromise who I am, my integrity before God? Is it going to lead me to be more or less committed, handed over, surrendered, effective in His service? Those are the kinds of questions that help us to align our lives with God's will for God's life. And then around that, I think there's a real breadth to God's will. I think there's a real latitude. It's a bit like, here's a simple analogy. The ski season's coming up. Any, ski, any skiers, keen skiers, snowboarders, you're heading down to Ruapehu or wherever, you've got a bit more money, you go down to South Island. You know, think of God's will like the ski field. You take the chairlift to the top, you're going down and you can basically choose if it's the same as it was when I was there years ago. You've got a green run, a blue run, and a black run leading down the mountain, right? Green run basic, easy, happy valley stuff. The blue run, kind of the intermediate level, moderate skill required. The black run, it's like, you may or may not make it down with all your limbs intact, you know, this is is full on. God's will is the whole ski field. I think as long as we are surrendered and submitted to Christ, I think God says to you, green run, blue run, or black run, you choose. I know this may not be what some of you have understood as far as God's will and, 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 and there can be this very pervasive idea that, well, no, God's got a particular ski run for me. But I think, think about it this way, I think God trusts you. I think God says to you, I trust you. There's a breadth to his will. If you're surrendered to Christ and you're walking humbly and faithfully before him, I think God says, my will is broad and wide. Time to plant or time to uproot? You choose. Time to gather or time to scatter? You choose. It's time to move or time to stay? You choose. I know there's a lot of fear in that for some people. You say, well, does God not lead me then? Does he never guide? No, he does sometimes. And that's why when we make these decisions, we need to make them prayerfully and we need to make them carefully. I'm not talking about being callous. I mean, when you face those intersections, you need to be in prayer. You need to be pouring over the Scriptures and listening so that if God does have something to say, you can hear it. So that if God does have, and He sometimes does have a very specific, this is the way I want you to go. I want you to take the blue. I want you to take the green. Sometimes God does. But I'll tell you this, God doesn't play games with you. If He's got something to say to you, He'll say it. He doesn't write in code You know, he doesn't sort of play, tease you a little bit, give you a bit, you've got to figure the rest. If he's got something to say, and you are open and submitted to him, seeking the counsel of a few wise people that you trust, searching the scriptures, if God has a direction to give you, he's going to let you know. And he's not going to let you wander out of his will without making it abundantly clear to you. And that means if you don't get the writing in the sky, if you don't get the audible voice, that's okay. And it may just be that God is saying to you, you choose. And there's, the flip side of that, I know, is the frustration of saying, yeah, but I don't know how to choose. I don't know whether, is this, should I be investing here or, or not? Should I really be marrying this person or not? Well, there are obviously guidelines and different issues, and we search the scriptures, and we do our best, and we listen to the wise counsel of others but God gives us latitude and it means sometimes you may make a decision and down the track things don't work out. Some of you have invested money and you thought you're making the best decision that you could at the time and later on things didn't work out and you've lost money. Did that mean God wasn't with you? No. Does it mean God wasn't guiding you? No. It means that's life. It means that is the reality of the world that we live in. And God doesn't always reveal every single time and exactly what's appropriate in every moment. He knows and he can see, but he doesn't. In his infinite wisdom, he doesn't give us that knowledge. Sometimes he might step in and say something, but a lot of the time he says, hey, my will is broad. I want you to be surrendered and submitted to me. And sometimes that means you might make a decision that you look back on and say, you know, if I had the time again, I might have made a different one. But this is now what life is. And, God, and now often when you look back, you can see that in some way God was there all along. You know, I mean, honestly for me, I, I struggle to, to hear God's voice clearly a lot of the time. I mean, I, I'm, I've got to admit I'm, I'm kind of jealous of people that just seem to have this direct line to God and they know they just get a particular scripture or whatever and they just have a piece and they know and this is the way to go. I'm just not like that. For whatever reason, God doesn't communicate with me a lot that way. And I think of the major decisions that Anna and I have made over our lives, decisions about uh, jobs, decisions about going to the States, and where to go, and these kinds of things. You know, there haven't, there haven't been moments when God has given me some you know, band of angels descending from the heavens and singing hallelujah, and this is the path that you should go. We've done our best. We've talked to people. We've prayed it through. But we've trusted that God has not only given us the Holy Spirit, He's given us a brain. And He asks us to make decisions. And we don't simply have this access to information about the future and we need to do our best. But what I can see as I look back is that every time I can see God's had His hand on it all along. It doesn't mean every decision has been great or perfect or that you know, we wouldn't necessarily do some things differently. But I can see that God was leading us all along. And that's the reality, I think, of God's will, is you can see it through your rear view mirror. You're going to see God's will most clearly through your rear view mirror in life. And again, I know you say, that's not what I wanted to hear. I want to know what's coming next. But this is in his infinite wisdom. God, you know, you look back and you say, man, he was in that. I didn't even realize it at the time. I thought I was taking the step in the dark off a cliff. I didn't know what was going on. But God was there the whole way. He was leading. He knew what was... Maybe he just wanted to take me the scenic route rather than the main whatever. But God is in it. And he's guiding you. And he's leading you. But what he wants you to know more than anything is that his will has already been revealed. His will is Jesus. And as long as you're surrendered and submitted to Jesus, your life is about him and you're heading that way, God says to you, my will is broad, my ways are wide, and I trust you to make some decisions, to go here, to go there. I'm going to get you where I want you to go in the end. So I don't know what decisions you're facing in life. I know some of you really are right there at that intersection of life. And you're making some big decisions right now. And you would dearly love that information. And you really hope this was going to be a sermon that told you exactly what you were supposed to do. But <laughs> well, I'm trying to be as faithful to Scripture as I can. And we need to feel something of that tension that the Questor felt because that's the life that we're living. We don't always know. We don't always have perfect information. We've got to do our best prayerfully And carefully. But you can know with certainty this morning that as you walk humbly and faithfully before the Lord, He's got His hand on your life and He's not going to let you go. He's got you in His hands. He's got your life in His arms and He will never abandon you. You will step this way and that, but He will never, ever let you go. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to walk with you and He's already gone ahead of you. He knows what you're going to choose. He's already in that future. He's working things through and He has His hand so firmly on your life. You might feel like it's all up in the air, so uncertain, you're feeling so anxious, but God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm not going to tell you everything about how everything turns out, but He's never, ever going anywhere. He won't abandon you. He won't abandon His children. You have the comfort of His presence, the assurance of His power, the promise of His hand on your life. And you know... Because the scripture tells us that God will make everything beautiful in its time. He will work it out. He knows. He's got the big picture, and we have the big picture too. We just don't always have the details. But God's going to make everything beautiful in its time. You can trust Him with that. You can leave that with Him. And in the meantime, you center your life around Jesus. Make the best decisions you can with prayer and wise counsel and the guidance of the scriptures and trust that God's will is broad enough to hold you and his grace is strong enough to catch you when you fall. Let's pray. Father God, you give us answers that sometimes aren't quite what we want to hear. Lord, you know the, the hunger that we have just to know exactly the right steps to take. We just don't, we don't always have that. But God, I thank you that you've revealed your will to us in Jesus. That you've revealed to us the great season of all seasons when you sent your Son. And that's what we need to know. That's what you've made so clear to us. But Lord, I pray for everyone here who's facing a big decision right now and who is looking at that passage in Ecclesiastes and just scratching their head and not sure whether this is a time for this or a time for that. We do pray for your guidance, Lord. We do pray for your wisdom. We pray for clarity. We pray that you'd have your hand on those circumstances. But more than that, I pray for every one of us in that position. You would give us the courage to surrender our lives afresh to you, to renew our faith in Christ, to center our lives around your Son, Jesus Christ, and simply walk day by day, trusting and obeying, humbly and simply, knowing that you do guide our steps, knowing that you will direct our paths, knowing that you will be faithful, even though we have to make decisions at times that are very, very hard. We wish we had more information than we do, but we know you've revealed to us just what we need to know, no less and no more. So help us to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith and to run the race with endurance. We thank you that you have already shown us your will. Give us the strength now to follow. In Jesus' name. Amen. Connection Point is a joint production between Connection Resources and Shore Community Christian Church. If you would like a free copy of today's message, please email us or phone us on 800 903090 90, 30 90. To subscribe to our free podcasts or to listen to the latest message, go to connectionresources.org.nz.